You are listening to the Future Drive Podcast. I'm Jermaine Muller, your host, and every episode I have conversations with great people working on even greater things, and you get to listen in. We talk about where they got started. Oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I'm going to work in TV. How do I, how do I even, like, I don't know how to present. <laughs> what do I do? What they've done. I started uh, paying me at home with, with no clients. I think uh, within the first six months, we had $600,000 turnover. The next uh, year, it was $9 million and then $15 million. The lessons they have learnt. But we did not get the grant. And we're about two weeks out and $20,000 down. And much, much more. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode. On this week's episode, I've got Alicia Lillington with me. How are you today, Alicia? Hello, I'm so well. Thanks, Jermaine. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, Good. We're, we're both sort of coming off the back of a, some some sort of health issues, very minor, but some sort of health issues. I love that when we're chatting about it, you you sort of mentioned that you, you do a lot. And even when you were sick, you were just, just, you know, at 50%, but it's probably still 50% for you is sort of quite high amount of work and output compared to, to other people. Um, tell me a bit a bit about yourself and I guess your your um, approach to everything that you do because I know you wear a few hats and yeah for sure Jermaine so yes um, thank you so much for having me today firstly um, I guess I work full-time for government as an advisor in the change and communication space um, kind of where culture and technology meet and then part-time I love kind of singing acting modeling and mentoring so I think it's so important to be kind of that role model for younger people I think of myself when I was you know at uni or just graduating and I just thought what am I going to do and particularly in 2020 um, you know it's been a bit of a tumultuous year and I think a lot of people are unsure of what to do next so I really like to mentor and just be that person particularly as a female in the tech space that kind of um, can lead the way for people and then with my modeling and things like that that I just do as a hobby I like to share um, messages around body positivity and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone like I'll try a new sport or something like that and I just do silly little videos but I get a lot of feedback from it and I was initially quite reserved and didn't want to share much but I found that when I would share you know trying um, you know skiing for the first time or something like that um, people reached out and said oh that's like inspired me to try something new so that's kind of in a nutshell I mean I do lots yeah as you said lots of different hats lots of different things but that's trying to keep it brief. <laughs> that's you in a nutshell because I yeah. met you through modeling because I do photography um but then I got really hooked into and we really ended up chatting um a bit about work and that side of things so I guess I guess we connect on I I guess both sides of creativity and and more of a hobby or um something that we we don't necessarily earn a huge living from but they're also the other side of uh you know actual work if if you can call it that so tell me a little bit about how you got into what you do in terms of your work yeah yeah okay it's a long story I'll try and yeah explain it really well okay so at university studied international relations when I graduated it was like around 2013 from university and um, the job market was really really rough Um, so then I thought what can I do what's a career that you'll always have a job in so then I kind of went in and did the graduate diploma of education I thought if I'm a teacher and because I love that mentoring tutoring that type of thing you know I thought I'll always have a job in that space so international 
relations education. Then from there, um, I went back to teach at my high school and I love my high school. I love teaching, but I just thought oh, there's a little bit more to the world. I just was like, I've, I've been here a lot. I need to go out and further afield, have a bit more life experience and maybe come back as one of those cool, like older relief teachers. You know, the ones that just come in a relief teacher and like sing or something. I'd love to do that <laughs> one day. I also kind of thought, I was like, oh, I could be like Chris Lilly, a drama teacher doing um, Mr. G and, you know, sort of doing performances for the kids. But that wasn't quite what it was like in reality. Anyway, from there, I, I really did want to get involved in international relations. And I was researching the market. I was looking at embassies. I was looking at foreign affairs. And I found this place um, in Canberra called the Commonwealth Club, which is a members-based club. Um, I reached out through LinkedIn at the time. I think it was about 2016, 2015, or even, no, it was actually 2014. And um, I, so LinkedIn was quite new and you could kind of reach out to people at that time. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a bombarding of, of all these messages. There was only a few people on there. So I reached out to this general manager at the Commonwealth Club and I said, Hey, I'd really like to work for you. I'm, I've just, um, you know, got two degrees and I, I'm interested in international relations. I understand you have quite a lot to do with that space. Um, and he invited me to be a waitress, which I'm the most clumsy kind of Mr. Bean type waitress you've ever met. I have tried it actually at someone's wedding. Um, I was their waitress and I know it was not, it was not my best career. I, I always give things a try, but I kind of was falling over, dropping plates. Um, it can be and- very tough. I just don't understand how people like wait staff so much respect because you've got to deal with all these people deal with their food. So people get really grumpy about it. And then on top of that, you've got to balance stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't even try it. So kudos to you to actually, actually like try it in the first place. Yeah, I know. And yeah, shout out to all the hospitality people out there. It's actually not that easy. And, you know, some um, people can be quite um, entitled even about a latte or a drink. And um, I definitely think of that when I go to restaurants. And I, I, th- I think it's kind of, you know, influenced the way that I am as a customer as well, working in customer service for a number of years. Um, sure. But yes, so like I was kind of doing all of that. And and he kept saying, you know, yeah, you can be a waitress. And then I waited a little while. I thought I'll reach out again and just see if anything's come up. And then, you know, again, just he was offering waitressing. I kind of forgot about it, was applying for a few different roles, um, kind of at embassy in the not-for-profit so sector. So were you unemployed at this role. point or? Um, I was tutoring. So okay. I was a so, private tutor. Yeah. 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 But not yeah. sort of any full-time employment at the point at this point. And you were sort of looking no. for that? Yeah. It was my yeah. first kind of, you know, flagship full-time job. And I think, you know, maybe for a lot of the listeners or people out there um, in the market today, you know, when you take that step into your first, your first full-time role, it's quite daunting. And it's a transition from your kind of um, supplementary roles that you might've done during university, or you, you might've had, you know, kind of customer service roles or things like that. But you're, you really want to focus on a particular career path and it's hard to get because they're always saying, oh, three years experience. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to get the experience at the start. So I definitely resonate with that and people starting out. Um, And then I was kind of doing my own thing, applying. I sort of ended up having this job tracker, which I've shared before on LinkedIn, which um, was a little notebook. And I I wrote down, um, it was suggested by a friend of mine, write down every role you apply for and take a more analytical approach and write what the outcome was and any feedback you get. And um, it took the emotion out of that job search a little bit more. Um, 
And then eventually I, I was just minding my own business. I got a message from um, the general manager and he said, how are you with communications? And I had never thought of communications as a career. I love public speaking. I love writing, creative writing, all of those things, but I had never thought of it as a particular subject. So um, yeah, I went in for the interview. Um, I had a bit of a interesting story that day as well, where um, I'd I finally got the interview at the place I really wanted to work. My dog was at the dog groomer and the dog groomer called me crying. Um, and this was my dream interview day. And it was a really, really hot day. I remember it was 31st of October. It was um, Halloween. I was like, oh, is this like a Halloween prank? <laughs> and it was, you know, probably like one of those hot Canberra days. So 30 degrees, 30 to 35 degrees. And I was in my new suit that I'd purchased for this dream Really role. excited for this dream I was role. So, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, the makeup, Jermaine, the hair, you know, <laughs> everything the and works, I was prepared the, works, <laughs> the yeah. works I was ready hours in advance and um the yeah so the dog groomer called me crying and saying actually your dog has run away <gasps> from the dog groomer uh, like an hour or so before the interview um and I was like calling the uh, I think it was two hours actually I um called up the general manager and I said hi like can I reschedule and he said look if you want this role you have to come today You've got we've to turn organized up. yeah we've organized board members to be here and everything like that so we can't reschedule so I was running around Belconnen um in Canberra and I was looking for my dog and calling out and anyway I went to the interview and I think the message from this is I went to the interview I performed to my best it was my dream role I'd practiced um I knew all my selection criteria everything like that um and they called me up a couple of hours later and offered me the role my dog a lovely good Samaritan um showed up on a Facebook group had found him and took him to the pound and it was all was well anyway that's the story about my first um job and how I got into communications and then from there I was trying to get into the public service so I worked in the private sector for two years um and had an amazing experience working there at the Commonwealth Club and then um that, yeah it was that was applying. in the full-time role that was a full-time role. And yeah, what sort of yeah. things were you doing in that role? So I got to kind of do a change management process where they had very traditional kind of paper-based newsletters. Their demographic there is a little older, um, probably 70 plus is their main demographic there. Um, and they're very traditional. Um, they like things to be very formal. When people enter that club, it's very much sir, madam. And I, I learnt new titles like brigadier or commander or yeah, all those type wow. of things. It's a different sort so, of, I guess, different type of um, clientele um, to, to your sort of average person. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I kind of had to learn communications and tailoring by um, key um, mark, key stakeholders and things like that. So, yeah, and I revamped it. I, I gave a, um, I started a, an online bulletin as well as a paper base. So we kind of did that transition, but we had both available for them and moving to things like digital messaging, digital boards, and also trying to increase the younger membership. So I got to kind of host events with people like Captain of the Wallabies and um, have roundtable conversations and fireside chats. And, um, you know, I noticed as a result of those communications, we had a lot of interest um, from younger people coming through. Um, so, so that was a really, really good role. And then from there, yeah, I just was that kind of Canberra girl that everyone had always said, get into the public service. Um, that's, you know, you'll be so great there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, so then you were in the, in the, in the private sector sort of doing doing what sounds like a pretty fun role a, a role that you know you you really fought for um sounds yeah. like and you were sort of persistent um yep. and then and then you're thinking let's get into the public service um yeah 
why do you think you wanted to do that at the time? Not, not that, you know, I've got anything against the public service, but, you know, one would think that, you know, you have a fun role, you're, you're in the private sector, you know, possibly more, more money, so more freedom, especially when it comes to marketing, there's, you know, like possibly a bit more freedom to, to sort of spend um, money on, on advertising campaigns or whatever, whatever it may be. So why do you think you were sort of looking at getting into the public service then? Yeah, definitely. So my, in that um, context, it was a very small comms team. It was only myself and there was no room to kind of progress. I am very ambitious, which sometimes has not been seen as a good thing throughout my career, but I've learned to embrace it now and, and leverage it and um, sort of talk about it in different ways. I think it's more about what can I contribute? And um, I, I'm a very dynamic go-getter person. And I think if I'm in a role where I'm not able to be dynamic in all of these things, I'll just feel quite flat and kind of that, um, that role was a little bit cyclical so you know you had your 12 months you had your things that came around so you know you had your big Christmas event and I just thought yeah I want to contribute to something bigger and I think we really need passionate excited people in the public service so that's why I was keen to get involved. Interesting so you wanted to sort of almost um, be the the anti-public service public service person in that you wanted to come yeah. in and sort of rather than just you know just doing what sort of falls on your plate be, be that sort of um, look for new new opportunities and explore explore that because um, you know it, it's just not something that the public service is necessarily known for and that, you know that's, that's not right. to say that there aren't interesting dynamic exciting passionate people in the public service it's just not sort of the, the name that's built out um, or, or, or what the general public sort of perceives um, the public no. service to be. I right. Yeah, that's right. And I think that kind of like a perception that I like to bust. And I think um, as well, I was looking initially as being like per- permanent and all those type of things, but I actually ended up coming in as a contractor. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people are scared to do. So I came in on a six month contract and I've actually been a contractor over the last four years. So people always say to me, how can you be a contractor? Like what if your role runs out don't you want to have maternity leave don't you want to have you know permanency and sick leave and all of these things but I think there's great roles in contracting um and yeah they're out there for people to to take and embrace yeah I think I think you can also get hung up a little bit on you know is it full-time is it part-time are you casual are you contractor the the way I see it yes that changes sort of you know how much you might get paid, whether you get paid holidays and things like that. But the reality is that you should be focusing on, you're focusing on the wrong thing if you're focusing on, on you know, what what sort of your legal state of employment is. Um, yeah. when, when in reality, you should be focusing on what you can put in and what you can do. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter whether you're a contractor or a casual. Like I, I think back to my sort of work history and there were times where, you know, I actually realized that I was getting screwed over because I was classed as one thing and because that was financially beneficial to the organization that I, worked for um but in reality you know in the legal definition of things i was actually another thing that meant that i got paid holidays but at the time i didn't because you know i was classed as a casual for example um but you know you shouldn't i don't think you should get hung up on that um and that's not a matter of you know oh you know if it's desperate if the job market's really really inundated you shouldn't worry about those things i just think in general um though those can those things you can account for like maternity leave you can always save up and i'm not saying oh you know money's nothing you just save up more money like it's that simple but you yeah. can sort of build out a lifestyle where you account for those things rather than necessarily focusing on you know the legal structure of your of your employment and what sort of leave you get like in reality as well, like you've got to have a passion for your job um, as such that 
it shouldn't really matter how much paid leave you get or holidays you get because you should be so excited about what you do and and yeah, you definitely. Know, as long as yeah. you have room to take holidays like wh- wh- why should you sort of think about that too much and quickly to talk about the fact that you know you felt like you know the move was because you were sort of outgrowing um your your role I just want to jump into that really quickly because I talk to a lot of people who work in sort of the marketing communications space especially in, in that sort of market where organizations really need to reach sort of a certain revenue or a certain size to be able to hire someone full-time just for their marketing because it tends to be something that an admin person sort of takes on you know like put up a few posts on Facebook put together a MailChimp newsletter so you know the way I see it like jumping into that sort of role in a in a organization that hasn't had that before or in an organization that has had a had a different version of that before is a good opportunity to sort of practice your skills I don't think you should necessarily look for a five day a week at you know the biggest marketing agency sort of sort of position um, but you yeah. take something that that sort of works for you and then you can make it to an extent what you want it to be as well um, the yeah. catch being that you know I, I was in a similar position to you where I went in you know we had thousands of people receiving a physical newsletter moved it to digital and then but eventually sort of f- felt like I was just you know in this box and I was just bouncing around trying to get out of it um, and that's actually what pushed me to just go full-time and start my own business like full, go full-time into my business because similar to you it was just a matter of like I've got so much energy I've got so much that I want to do but I can't do it and I guess when you go to the public service and you're a contractor I'd actually argue that that actually means that you even have more freedom than if you were an employer employee whether you whether full-time or not because as a contractor that relationship is a little bit different anyway you're sort of working for them but there's a contract in place that sort of stipulates that rather than you know you work for us you know we we own you <laughs> yeah um, definitely you're there for a, a um definitive amount of time and you're there to deliver something and I think as well that's kind of where I transitioned and all the opportunities that that led to from that moment if I wouldn't have tried and taken a risk and I I took several risks on different contracts after that so starting out um the first role I had was at IP Australia um as a contractor and I was working in communications and, and um my director was kind of the head of um, strategic change management and that's where I really learned the, the kind of 101 stuff about change management and I was like oh this is quite interesting it aligns a lot with communications it's not the same thing but I can see a lot of synergies there that I'd like to be involved in and it is that stakeholder relationship and kind of yeah enterprise change management um, and then from there kind of you know taking a leap um up to go and work at the Australian Bureau of Statistics um, and from there going to Department of Human Services as it was known at the time um, and and you know I think there's a lot of kind of um, different perceptions about different departments but I've loved every opportunity I've seen merit and and grown from each department and from there I went to my dream role I actually got into foreign affairs where I was in it um, kind of an executive level one um, contract level where I couldn't get in when I'd graduated I couldn't get into the grad program and then I was this kind of EL1 and I was managing the grads and the grads had PhDs they had um, 
um, you know, experience wow. internationally. But I was working in the IT space um, and I did a piece around women in tech and looking at how do we have diversity in tech. And, and that kind of sparked that interest, which has lasted with me. So, you know, through over the journey, I kind of picked up communications. I picked up change management and then the women in tech piece. And even at IP Australia, I was working on a program for the engineers and looking at women in STEM there um, and doing partnerships with LinkedIn. Um, and, and now I have right. a really strong LinkedIn presence. So I got to yeah. kind of do that from an organizational perspective and looking at how we um, attract females in that space and then from there um, working at um, sort of prime minister and cabinet on a whole of government um, rollout um, of an ICT system as a change manager and you know to 40 government agencies and because I'd had those little portfolio um, examples and experience that actually um, led really well into that role and now working at Department of Finance I'm working for the shared services area which is amazing and I'm rolling out again I've just rolled out an IT system to um, seven different departments and agencies across government which I've enjoyed so much because I've learned from each um, each role and you kind of I, I like to think of like a toolkit and and you kind of add little tips and tricks along the way um, you learn how to make communication scalable and I think looking back to my first role I had to really make it scalable because I was the only person there and then um, you know how do you create an infographic for example that can be tailored across 40 government agencies how can you work with SMEs in each organization to tailor their messaging as well um, and how do you kind of build an alliance of change colleagues across the whole um, Australian public service um, and also, I think there's a bit of a myth, oh, change management, that's kind of the CEO and the change manager, they all drive the change, but really it's kind of embedding and getting everyone excited about a new system or a new process. And um, when I go and facilitate roundtables and things like that, people always mention change fatigue and just like, yes, okay, well, how do we change that perception? Well, and that that's where sort of the communication side of things come in, right? Because really um, communications isn't everything that we do. Um, no, no matter what, you know, from when, how you say hello to someone to how you email someone. Um, so using those skills to, to manage change is really important because like you said, you can't have, if, if there's two people out of a hundred person, even organization trying to drive change, um, that's not really, that, that, that's just, you know, trying to force change. That's not trying to drive change. You, you need yeah. sort of a, a movement to happen. And, and that requires like um, upskilling, listening to people, having these discussions, having these conversations so that, um, so that, you know, when you're moving, especially with technology, like for some of these, for some of these projects, I'm sure it was, you know, like jumping from one sort of approach to technology to another approach that requires so much change within there, just what they're used to. Um, and, yeah. and I guess you had a full spectrum of ages as well. So people who, you know, were completely comfortable in any sort of technology um, all the way to people who just, you know, weren't, weren't really used to a whole lot of technology. So you would have to had to deal with that. But um, what, what was it like sort of jumping from, or, or even at the moment, so you basically sort of look for an upcoming contract and then apply for it and then engage on that contract. Is that sort of how you work? 
Yeah, that's right. And I'll, I'll note as well for the listeners as well, Jermaine, if there's anyone thinking about getting into contracting or starting out and you're just looking for roles, for me, it's been very much like a push and pull approach. So when I started out looking for roles and when I was new in the market, like people always tell me now, oh, we know you, we've seen you on this or that. And, you know, because of my various activities, but at the start, I didn't really know anyone and I had to go and chase the opportunities. I had to, you know, use things like Seek or LinkedIn, or um, there's a lovely website called ethical jobs as well and or even yeah just finding opportunities having conversations with people and really seeking those opportunities but eventually now I do get people sort of coming to me and I feel very flattered and and lucky and they say oh we know you've done x y and z so that's what can come when you are a really dynamic person and you put yourself out there and you reach out to people in the outset Um, but yeah so I do I do contracting Um, I'm through an agency at the moment Um, I love the agency and they kind of, you know, place me in different roles, depending they'll go into the digital marketplace um, and look for opportunities there. And then we'll put together a tender submission and I'm part of that. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of. Yeah, no, that, that's um, quite I, a unique sort of way to way to operate, I guess. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, to talk to that point of um, you just got to put yourself out there and you've got to like you just got to knock knock on those doors at, at the very least. And I was chatting to someone um, just last week uh, about this. And the way I put it was, you know, you need to keep trying and you need to keep applying and, and doing all that. But then I think you also got to remember to, you know, have your like your um, side hustle that sort of keeps the money coming in so that you don't because you don't never want to find yourself in a position where you're desperate like and and you just want to knock knock down the door you know you want to knock on the door not knock down the door you don't want to you can't you can never force yourself into into a job no matter how many times you ask to you know meet the um meet the um head of hr or or whatever um yeah so it's important to sort of have a balance there i think of keep trying but don't make sure that the reality is the financial pressures of life aren't sort of, you know, bundled in, in that, because then it gets very emotional and it just gets, gets too messy. Um, Would you you sort of agree with that? Yeah. I have a couple of things to, to mention there. I think when you're starting out, don't be too precious about the role that you go for. I think some of the mentees and students I work with, they say, Oh, I want to meet the CEO and I want to be, you know, a senior manager first role. Um, Or or, or even something (laughs) like, you know, marketing manager, like, or, 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 you know, I want to handle all of the social, social media. And all I can say to that is you've never had a role past, you know, what you worked at uni and you got a degree and you think like, really, and, 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 and I don't know if this will help any, anyone listening, but getting a role like that is, is like getting your dream car, right? Like getting a dream job is not something that you should just be given. It's not something that's easy. Like you don't just buy a Ferrari for your first car or a Lamborghini that, that never happens. So why would you think that, you know, you can go from getting a degree and no experience to becoming head of head of marketing or, or something yeah, like that. Um, and that's sure. not to say that there that aren't people who are skilled. It's just think about the the real the 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 size and the and the and the you know impact of what you're trying to do and thinking that you can do and just just take baby steps like take up a role that that sort of you know seems right um but isn't necessarily like is is a stepping stone on your on your path um and you don't have to just jump to the to the big rock at the end yeah that's right and I mean I started working when I was 14 I remember going and my first role was um Baker's Delight and I used to work I wanted to go on an Italy trip and I was earning six dollars fifty an hour um and the trip was like $1,500 
a few grand. So I had to really, really save that up. And I had that kind of hard work instilled in me from a young age. Um, And yeah, I remember going and rocking up when I was like 13 or so and saying, hey, can I work here? Um, And they were sort of like, come back when you're 14 or whatever. But I remember everything I learned at Baker's Light, like when you're not busy, sweep the floor, always in customer service and dealing with people. And, you know, they're buying a 60 cent bun, but they want the best service. And that really set me up for success. And I think there's other things people can do as well. So maybe you can, you know, I'm part of um, the United Nations Australia um, Canberra International Women's Day Committee for 2021. And for example, with that, um, you know, I've been doing their socials and things and we can see the analytics really growing and and doubling and things like that. So why not get involved in kind of, you know, donate your time to get some of that experience. I think you have to put things out there as well. Like, um, and and I've done it before as well. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm great. I'm ready for my role. But what can you give um, your time to and how can you demonstrate that? And then those opportunities will flow back to you eventually as well, I think. Um, And yeah, and I think, you know, when you're starting out, maybe you do just take a customer service role in the meantime, while you're to supplement your income while you're finding those dream, um, like still applying and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, and, so, and keep that up yeah. and, you know, keep like, give give yourself sort of um, fake projects to work on, build out a portfolio. Obviously, it depends on sort of what sort of work you're looking to do, but um, get active on platforms like LinkedIn. I know it's getting pretty flooded and pretty, pretty busy on LinkedIn now, but um, chances are in the next few years, there's going to be another platform co- you know, coming up. And um, if you get in early, um, like like I did with LinkedIn um, all those years ago, and sounds like you did as well, um, you, you just got to sort of basically make your own luck and keep pushing pushing that um, and just keep working away at it. Like I love the, the mention of, you know, Baker's Delight, just if there's nothing else to do, sweep the floors. It's, it's sort of that concept of like, if you feel like you don't have anything to do, you should have probably a list of things that you can turn back to and go, okay, I've, I don't have anything to do. And instead of flicking on Netflix, just look through the list and find something else that you can do. Like, you know, put up a post on LinkedIn or work, work on a logo for X, X company that, that, you yeah. know, re, redesign McDonald's logo. Like, it's, yeah. it's the stuff that you know other like your employers would look for um and then you can throw in and, and sort of say you know this is just a personal project that I worked on and it shows that you you want to explore you you're dynamic you're you really yeah. you know make yourself busy if you if you're if you don't have any other work and and that's often an asset as well yeah definitely it's your point of difference um and I think yeah there's just so much that that you can do and you can share your story as well because sometimes I think oh no one needs to see another you know work post or another you know post about this or that but you know sometimes um yeah I've had all kinds of things happen at work and I've shared my story and it is those people that you know reach out and say oh this resonated with me now I'm going to share a story so I have mentees and and students as well that I encourage put your elevator pitch if you're starting out put your little you know a video of yourself talking about um what you do and put that on LinkedIn and things like that yeah go go there a little bit further as well like with the mention of video I think it's very easy for someone to just type something out um, or even take a photo but to get in front of a, a camera and actually talk um which doesn't sound like a huge huge task or a huge huge thing to do for a potential um employer I think it at, at the very least it shows that you know you're you're happy to hop on and you're, you're confident enough that you can actually talk in front of a camera because people freeze and you know you can't really edit video the the same way that you can like text so um I think it shows a level of um capability as well when you do that 
Hello, Future Tribe. I just wanted to take a break from this episode to talk to you, yes, you, about the fact that you are listening to this episode, but you're not subscribing. So go ahead, hit the subscribe button right now. It really helps us out. I should also ask you to join our Facebook community. There's a link in the description. Check out the YouTube channel for unedited full-length clips of the podcast and tell your friends, ask them to subscribe. If you have any suggestions of who we should try and get on the podcast next and who we should have a conversation with, reach out to us. All our social links and contact details are in the description. That's it from me for now. Back to the episode. Now, you've mentioned mentoring a fair bit during our conversations. Tell me a little bit more about that and how you got into mentoring and what what, what that sort of looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I was always interested in mentoring and everything like that. So, you know, at school, I was always a peer mentor. Um, It started from a young age. Um, And you know, after school and things like that, I just kind of, I wanted to be a teacher and I just had that within me. I just had that passion to help people. And I actually, when I was 19, I had my own acting school, um, which is not something I've talked about recently, but I really wanted to explore that and do that and instill um, confidence in younger people. Because I, when I studied drama, I used to be a really shy kid actually. And then I did some things in drama. I was selected to be Mary. I went to a Catholic school and I was selected to be Mary in the school play. And that was life-changing someone to recognize you and say, hey, I want you to be um, this character and all the things you learn from drama um, have really helped me a lot. So I think it's actually, you know, drama has helped me um, be that kind of presenter and facilitator um, and and be really interested in in helping others. So at the moment, what I mentor in is I mentor in a program with the ANU called Momentum, um, managed by the College of Business and Economics. That's a formal program. Um, And then just kind of informally, I do get a lot of people messaging me on LinkedIn, just asking for tips and tricks. And um, I've actually set up a networking event coming up in the next couple of weeks for all the students and mentees I've met throughout the year, because it's been a virtual environment. They haven't had the opportunity to meet face-to-face and network and practice that. So we're just going to get together at a a local um, bar and just kind of meet and practice and say, hi, my name is Alicia. Um, You know, and this is what I do. I I also tell people they always are scared of networking, a lot of the mentees. So I just say, you know, just actually go up and say, hey, how are you? That's how you start because I think sometimes they want to jump straight into their elevator pitch. Um, Just 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 sorry to cut you off, but um, it's hilarious to me because I I agree. Like I think people just um, forget that you're you're still talking to a human um, and and there's still sort of, you know, an order of, um, of sort of, you know, disclosing your personal information, which is effectively what you're doing. Like um, I want to know your name first. I want to know even what you're into and not just what you're looking for in terms of employment. Um, And, and, you know, just take, take that time. Like at the end of the day, especially in these sorts of in, environments there aren't really time pressures it's not like you know you have 30 seconds and you've just you know everything you say has to be condensed within 30 seconds and that's it you can you can sort of get to know someone have a chat with them get get to know them as well don't just you know blurt out (laughs) all about you to them um sort of make sure it's a balanced conversation absolutely 
absolutely. And just have a conversation. Like I use the example of, you know, it's a networking event. What would I do? And I, you know, just go up to the buffet and or if there's like food or drink there and just say, oh, this is a nice meat pie. That's an example that I would say like, oh, what are you eating today? Or um, what brings you here today? Those kind of open-ended questions, just having a chat with a real human and then you can go from there and, they, and you know, connect with them on LinkedIn. Oh, do you have LinkedIn? I'd li- love to find out more about what you do, kind of an invitation to find out about them. But I think, you know, mentoring, I've got mentors as well. So I think I used to think, oh, once you're a mentor, you know, that's that's it. But actually I've noticed that, um, so um, my mentee mentors someone um, who's like wow. kind of a first year uni student. And then that person mentors people from their school to go to university. And then for me, I have a mentor and they have a mentor. So it's kind of, it's actually not just, um, you know, two people in the mentoring process. There's multiple layers of mentors and mentees um, and anyone can be a mentor or a mentee. Um, and I, I learn a lot from kind of the students coming through, particularly about social media, things like TikTok, of course, um, and, you know, reels on Instagram, all these things that are coming through that I'm not native to. Um, they can really teach me about those things and the perspective of younger people as well. I've noticed a real um, shift in the mentality of the younger generation I think it's really exciting to look at things like um, being ethical and you know the environment and 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 these body positive things I've seen that really coming through and that those are themes that I think when I was you know um, their age it, it just wasn't as much of a thing um, which I'm, I think is really good to have that kind of consciousness as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you make a good point because I, I, I too have sort of just thought as mentoring as this, you know, um, very much step down, step down, sort of um, one person passing stuff on to the next person. So sort of an arrow down sort of method. Um, but in reality, it's sort of a two way um whether it's communication or two-way sort of explanation of things and it and helps like I I definitely found that even with sort of um, our younger staff that I'm chatting with them and they go oh Facebook's been doing that for a long time and I'm like what do, what do you mean I use Facebook every day um, I didn't know that that was a feature I didn't know that that was a function because different generations and different people use these things differently and it's important yeah. to keep that conversation open because otherwise you just get you just get and you know ended up um sort of um uninformed or even worse disinformed about something or misinformed about something so um that's awesome now before we wrap yeah. up i wanted to ask you one more question about um you talk about women in tech um yeah. and and i guess sort of how that all all comes in together mm-hmm. as someone who's really passionate about tech i know that there are there's just a real lack of women in tech um yeah why why do you think that that is is a fact like i mean you know i i feel like a lot of guys are into tech in the first place um sort of that classic you know geek sitting sitting eating like cheesels or cheetos and (laughs) you know just gaming all day um yeah but then, you know, to my surprise, like I, I started playing uh, PlayStation with my partner and she got really hooked into it. And I was like, yes. hold on, like, I, I know gaming girls are a thing. I'm not sort of, I'm yeah. not saying that, you know, oh, girls don't game, but yeah, is it is it really just a matter of like, or, or part of it do you think is that they just don't get exposed to things in the same way with the same sort of encouragement and push um, from yes. school and from parents and from society? Do you think that's a huge factor there? 
Absolutely. I think it starts at such a young age. So on a lot of the projects I've worked on, it's like, okay, we've, um, you know, we've got all these roles and we want more, like we've got a department, we've got great people, but we actually have more roles to fill. And how do we encourage people from the department to come over to the tech space? And what we were talking about before in terms of, you know, these new platforms, it's actually not about the particular platform. It's about the mentality towards it and being kind of um, receptive to learning new things. But with um, and say and so people always say to me I'm not a tech person I don't like tech and particularly women or I'm not I'm not savvy I don't know how to do that things like that some tips <laughs> always restart your computer always try different browsers always clear your case if you can do those things you know that's IT 101 right yeah um, and looking at things like HTML it's actually quite creative and exciting press go to a website and press the F5 button um, and I think we have to reframe the way we, we think about tech. So I'll tell you what I think our next steps are, but I'll take it back to where it comes from. And I think it's at school. I think it's it starts from a very young age. So even, you know, five years old, that's when we need girls to start um, getting involved and interested in tech, get them to play with a robot and encourage them. So a lot of research and data shows that, you know, we tell girls, oh, you're beautiful, but we don't say you're really intelligent. I really like your curious mind. Um, and it's the way that we talk to these younger generations that's going to have a big impact. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like a blue toy and a pink toy. I think those things are totally changing. But I also think that the curriculums are being written by a male-dominated cohort. So when things are inherently written by those people and, you know, computer games, and, and I'm, a, I'm definitely a gamer girl myself, when those games, though, are written mostly by that audience, it's not as appealing. So we need more females to write those games and to, to code them and learn those things. And there's a real space for women in that area and I think you know even marketing coding and marketing these things to girls at schools we need really great teachers who encourage um, girls to to be involved and show the value so what is the value of having girls involved in tech so a lot of um, technology is inherently biased so from the moment you walk into a, a shopping center yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't, sorry. But, I'm just, it's just dawning on me now because a lot of yeah. people are into FIFA, right? And yeah. they tend to be guys. And it tends to be this question of like, oh, I don't understand why like guys are into FIFA. It's just, it's boring. But mm. if it's coded by men with, with sort of, I mean, because at some point someone desired, decided this game had to exist. And I, I bet that it was a bunch of, a, a lot of majority guys who sort of, grouped up and went how do we build this how do we build the ai how do we build the logic behind this i'm sure they built it to cater to what you know the the male mind is looking for next like you know whatever and i'm not going to sort of um try and um guess what attributes are, are unique to a male sort of the way male thinks versus to the way a, a female thinks but i'm sure you know if, if, even if it's like okay like at this point we have to make it make it do xyz to um become more competitive therefore we get get men on the hook a bit more um or, or whatever it may be and i just it never dawned on me that you know at its at its inception we're up to fifa fifa 20 21 now so at its inception, and then since, ever since then, they've just been updating something that has been designed in a certain way with a certain flow, with a certain logic yeah. behind it. So 
yeah, that, that's insane. It's almost like self-selection. Um, Absolutely. And think of the players and, and the type of imagery they use in the games. Are they, you know, is there a female cohort in those games or is it mostly guys? That's how we get inclusivity and look at things like that. And yet, so the moment you work in, walk into a shopping center and the, the doors open for you, they're assuming you're a certain height for that to open. What if you're in a wheelchair? What if you're, you know, not a, or like you're a certain type of, um, you, yeah, height. And, and it doesn't open for you. So I think it's about thinking of things with a diversity lens, thinking of different people and having different perspectives um, and, and getting people involved in those conversations. And what's the benefit for people? Well, everyone uses applications like Instagram. I'm generalizing here. Maybe everyone doesn't, but majority, a lot of people use these applications. But what if, you know, the algorithms and people get frustrated. I know a lot of influencers say the algorithms changed. Well, why don't you get involved in that conversation in designing the algorithm. So we need females in that space. We need you to be the developer rather than kind of just the influencer, um, you know, beautiful girls sharing their modeling um, shots. But I'm sure they have a lot of intelligence and insights through using and testing the platform. And there's roles in IT such as testing. And what is testing? That's just literally going through and seeing, oh, um, this doesn't work properly. Um, I'll make a note of that. How do we improve it? So I think just reframing the way we think, having diverse people in those spaces and yeah start to think about you know is this technology um, diverse how was it created who actually created this technology and, and things like that I think will will make a big difference in the long run yeah yeah no definitely um and, and one last thing, I guess, um, yeah. before we sort of wrap up, I, I don't know if you've heard of Lisa Sue. Lisa Sue is the CEO of AMD, um, which is the second biggest sort of computer processor manufacturer in the world. And what I love about, about sort of her being the CEO of one, she's the CEO of such a big company and it's, it's on the way up. So, you know, AMD is sort of um, really had a resurgence recently and it's awesome to even see that because, because I think, you know, you look at the, like for a long time um, it was, old white males that dominated technology especially at the top um and it's very difficult to you know look at a cohort that's that's not you and not like you and um and then aspire to be be that because you just don't see yourself there and you know seeing diversity sort of becoming more of a mainstay and not not just diversity for the sake of diversity but diversity yeah. for the for the sake of you know not like giving opportunities to people and giving everyone an equal playing field um it, it is awesome like just the other day i saw someone post about band-aids and the fact that band-aids are supposed to be like they're designed for the the fairer skin and i didn't realize i just thought band-aids were that color because band-aids are that color i didn't realize yeah. that you know it was supposed to blend in but then the yeah. more i think about it the more i realized actually yeah like because if you apply a band-aid and you have a similar skin tone you just don't notice it where yeah on, on my skin it just it just sticks out like a sore thumb then even yeah. that sort of simple stuff um from yeah. the doors of the the um mall to to the band-aid to who leads these big companies um yeah. the more we see sort of equal representation or representation of a different or of, of the of the variety of people and the languages and, and skin color and every like heights and everything that we have the, the yeah. better 
you know, everyone else lower, lower down when I say sort of coming up the future generations um, yep. sort of will feel and will do. Definitely. And different body types as well. There's lots of different diversity that, you know, we can, we can have out there. And I think it's important. We don't just say it's kind of a, a tick box. Like it's like, okay, we've got someone who's LGBTQI and we've got someone, you know, um, our kind of, um, you know, diversity, different backgrounds. So now we've yeah. ticked that box and we've got our female, we've reached our participation rates. We need to keep going. It's not just something that gets done. It's an ongoing conversation and making sure we have, you know, gender balance as well. And I'm sure there's lots of industries where it's mostly female too. And we need more guys. We need more guy teachers. We need more guys in nursing. Different. There's lots of different industries and we need that 50-50 to make it well-rounded. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of um, young boys who are growing up and or and any different gender and they'll have different perspectives if they have diversity in the teachers that they have too mm. um, and particularly in technology if you have a diverse teacher or a passionate teacher I mean I'm sure Jermaine you, you might have had some really passionate yeah, teachers sure. and they change your life they shape your life and you know people told me I was good at drama and humanities and that's why I studied that but if I would have had someone that told me you're really great at science or tech and I was pretty good at maths I was in all the extension classes but I excelled at double major English. So that's where I, and I love, and drama, like easy. Like I was like, oh, great. Performance is excellent. <laughs> I'll do that. But um, if I could apply that, um, like the, the skills that I had for drama and apply that to medicine, for example. And I've worked as an actor um, at the ANU medical school. So the people studying to be doctors, I'll get a script of symptoms and, and play out that scenario. And from that, I've actually learned a lot about medicine and um, kind of pattern recognition and how to diagnose. And I'm like, oh, I could be a doctor. I could be so many things. And I've only um, learned that later in life. But definitely what you're saying about the kind of, and someone told me the catch cry the other day, male, pale and stale. <laughs> Um, which is like a great yeah. tagline. Um, <laughs> we definitely, uh, we definitely, um, yeah, need to challenge that. I think. And for me, my aha moment with engineering was high heels. Um, that's engineering. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, oh, fashion. That's engineering. So think about tech in new ways. You have a device that's with you, you know, twenty four seven that's tech and you can shape the way that that behaves um, and how do we leverage it I mean even things like um, hopefully this isn't TMI but like a period tracker on yes. your phone that's tech that's femtech that's helping and, and how us you can use like to, machine to learning things. and stuff to even educate yourself better about your body um, yeah. when it comes to that like yeah. apps that track your period and things like like it's blown my mind sort yeah. of seeing people use the use technology in that way because like what, what, why hasn't this been a thing for a long time? Like it's, I feel like it's, it's, it's a recent yeah. thing in, in the grand scheme of things. And like really, and it's, it's awesome. Cause, cause some of that innovation yeah. really takes, like it takes females to come up with that. I'm sure a, a male could have tried to, but we don't, we don't know what, what needs to be like, we don't, we're not, it's not going to really affect us. So we don't know what needs to be included and what, what would be useful. So yeah. Whereas for a female, I'm going to talk a lot here. Sorry if it's way too much, Jermaine, but for all the female listeners, you know, maybe you're in a really bad mood and you're like, what's wrong? Like it's so, and you're like, oh, it's PMS time. I've got a notification that makes everything so much better. You have no idea what a different, because you feel like you're having a mental breakdown and then you realize actually this is biology and using tech. It changes your life, actually. Oh, I, I could yeah. imagine, like, even knowing, like, waking up in the morning and knowing, you know, my hormone levels and my body is doing going to do a certain thing today. I can, you know, I, I mm. then sort of can, can 
move into my day going, okay, if I get cut off, I would probably want to react in a very angry way because I'm stressed or whatever. But now that I know that I'm stressed, I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind. And when I get cut off, I'm just going to do what I would normally do, which is just suck it up, maybe flash my headlights and just keep going or, or just, just sort of using technology to educate and remind yourself about you and, you know, um, and, yeah. and use that to, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like the stuff that I'm sure we'll see in our lifetime in terms of how people use technology and how people use sort of machine learning to, to do do just amazing Definitely. stuff. Now, before we wrap up, I'm going to sort of spring this on you. You've probably not heard about the okay. top 12, Ready? which is um, something that we like <laughs> okay. to do at the end of every episode um, is basically four questions that I'll go through and I ask you for three recommendations and three things in each area. So this is springing okay. this on you. If you can't come up with anything, that's fine. We just move on to the next one. Um, are you ready? I'm always ready, but we'll see how we go. All right, let's give it a go. Always up to try something new, Jermaine. Let's go for it. (laughs) Okay, top three books or podcasts that you recommend. Sure. So I always say I love reading, but actually I listen to um, audio books, but I think that's That's still reading, reading, right? I go on a walk and I listen to them. So the ones I'm listening to at the moment are 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. Um, the another one I really love is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, and that the guy's name escapes me, but yeah, definitely listen to that too. And then thirdly, um, 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think by Brianna Weist. They're my top three at the moment. Awesome. It sounds like you yep. prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I, you know, my Audible credits have been running out. So I just have been oh, yeah. downloading. Just, gotta, just download <laughs> as much listening. as you can. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Top three software tools that you can't live without oh I'm probably I actually just like yeah I guess Google Chrome if that's like a a very 101 type thing but using a lot of different browsers that's like my favorite one um on my phone what do I actually have and what do I use I use Lightroom a lot to edit my photos as well and I'm just going to be boring and say LinkedIn because that's, and I know they're kind of applications, but they're my favorite. That's a, that's a tool. So do you, would you say LinkedIn is your um, most used social platform and networking platform? Yeah, it is. And do you know what's so funny when I'm out and about networking um, and I'm, and to some of the younger people, they're just kind of like, Oh, I've got Instagram. Like, Oh, do you have LinkedIn? And they don't have it yet. So (laughs) I always feel like a bit of a nana in that um, that space that I'm, I just encourage get on LinkedIn and also, so not sponsored by LinkedIn, but I'm a very big advocate for it because with all these different jobs as well that I've had throughout my career, it's a great way to stay in touch with everybody. De- definitely. And just connect with sort of your peers. And like I, I bump into, bump into um, I use air quotes for that, into so many people on LinkedIn that are interesting. And I don't really spend a whole lot of time on LinkedIn as not as much as I should. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic place to spend your time instead of say Facebook. Um, top three mantras you try to live by. Yeah. Okay. So probably yeah challenge your assumptions I definitely do that myself um like I I have assumptions and I'm just like why am I actually thinking this um change the world one conversation at a time that's kind of my little tagline I believe every conversation you have can change someone's day you can have a positive conversation even if it's at the coffee shop or or something like that um yeah and finally one that um I learned from Code Like a Girl in managing the partnership with them at Fadifat is you can't be what you can't see. So be that person that is going to inspire someone. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
I mean, even I guess that applies to even like your social media. Like you can't be the one, you know, complaining that, oh, there's no body positivity on social media. And then in the same vein, turn around and edit your photos that you look skinnier or you look like you've got perfect skin. You've got to be that person. You've got to, you know, start the conversation and just sort of say, this is me. Like, you know, just deal with it or, or just don't even mention it. Put it up and sort of go, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. We'll just move on from there. But you can't, you know ask for change and then conform to what you don't like um, about what's going on already. Just, you yeah. just got to sort of, um, yeah, be sensible about gotta, that. Absolutely. And I'll challenge everyone on here. Share something you're afraid to share on social media. That's like my challenge to you. Share your stretch marks, share, you know, your acne, things like that. And you'll be amazed and, and share a bit of a story about you know, your journey with that, um, you know, if you're plus size and embrace it and share that and you, you'll change. It's not about changing a million people's life. It's about changing one person's life or day. And then that has the butterfly effect. And that's how we change the world at a grassroots level. For sure. And it's so scalable as well. When it comes to social media, like one post um, can reach so many people that you don't have to, you know, sort of put up one post and then put up each each one to sort of reach more people you just put up one post and it can reach as many people as you know you have the reach to 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 sort of get to so um very powerful there awesome the last one um top three people you follow or study and why yeah, definitely. So they are some of the people that I'm reading the books um, by at the moment. So one is Jordan B. Peterson. He just has these amazing perspectives on life and the way we think. He's a psychologist um, by nature um, and he he just is fascinating. Definitely go check out some of his um, lectures and everything like that. He'll explain the way that you think and, and I think that's amazing. I love understanding psychology, particularly being a change manager, why we think in certain ways. He's very eloquent and and amazing and I can't explain him well enough <laughs> but a lot yeah, of content Jordan... <laughs> from him on YouTube as well so yes um, there he you is. can check him out yes. there yeah yeah that's right so he's great um and then secondly I love Russell Brand I love that he comes kind of from this you know um lower class kind of background in the UK he's kind of a comedian and actor he does everything but then his perspectives as well and he you know recently I watched a thing on YouTube from him about an analysis of the crown and how it's not historically accurate but is that actually what we need? Do we need um, historical representation or do we watch it for entertainment? So some of those conversations there, um, that that's um, really, okay, really amazing. Interesting, Russell Brand, because I've always thought of him as a bit of a joker who can't be taken seriously, but that might be very, yeah. you know, that might that might be me having to challenge my my assumptions and because yeah. I've heard and I know he has a podcast as well I'm fairly sure um, he does so it's he called sounds Under very, the Skin very active yeah. right so he sounds yeah. very active and eloquent and intelligent so maybe I should just um yeah, yeah. challenge that assumption and check it out yeah definitely and he ha- shares his perspective of uh, he's very open and honest and authentic and I think that's what I value in these content people that share content um so you know he'll he'll say things about breakups and and different things like that and his time in the public spotlight and he'll talk about his privilege um but he'll look at things through different lenses which is really important and finally my favorite person and favorite book that I've ever read and I didn't actually mention it in books but Terea Pitt um who um is just an amazing um, advocate. She's written a couple of books. Um, she um, ha- was 
unfortunately she was in a, a fire and she got burns to most of her body but talking about the journey to recovery and what she's learned from that and she's recently come out with a book called happy um and she's just the most amazing down-to-earth influencer um she's got a couple of kids and and just is everything i aspire to be and she's very um well educated as well um so check out taria pitt as well. Awesome. That was a that was a very solid top 12. So um, wow. thank you for your time, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for um, being on the podcast. And um, yeah, where can people keep in touch with you on LinkedIn, of course? Yeah, definitely on LinkedIn under Alicia Louise Lillington. Um, and if they want to follow my Instagram as well, um, it's Alicia underscore underscore Louise. Awesome. Thanks again. And um, hope you have a good one. You too. Thanks, Jermaine.